money is the answer for everything. Money is the answer for everything. What's your reaction to that statement? How does that statement make you feel? I want you to think about it, though, because let's just give a little Christian answer here. Does money have an influence in your life? Would more money impact your life in a positive way? Would it allow you to make a greater difference in the world that is around you? Money is the answer for everything. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a, that sounds like it should never be said in church. But the truth is, it's a verbatim quote from the Bible. Ezekiel, sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 19 says, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Money is a defining attribute in our lives. Think about it. If you had more money, you could feed the world. If you had enough money, you could fund the gospel to be heard by all of creation. How much conflict is there in your marriage right now over money? How much anxiety do you feel in your life because of the state of your finances? What dreams have you already given up on because of your thoughts concerning your money? Statistics show that 90% of divorces in the first seven years state money as the significant reason why their marriage ended. Money matters a lot. So much of what we are going to do in the course of our lives is going to be decided by money. So as we dive into this topic over the next five weeks, I want to talk to you around the theme this morning, the truth about money. I want to give you seven truths from God's Word about the topic of money. And honestly, get your notes ready. Make sure you're just jotting down every verse of Scripture. I'm going to give you a week's worth of study. Are you ready? Number one, God wants you to have money. I want to jump in right here. God wants you to have money. Let's start right there. Where some would say there is controversy in the church. Let's be really, really clear. God wants you to have money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 tells us about our God, that God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants you to have enough for you, and enough to go beyond you. Here's the second verse of Scripture, Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Man, I double-clicked on that word rich in so many different environments to try and find something other than rich, but it's undeniable that's what it means. God interacts with our lives to prosper His people. Seems so controversial, but it shouldn't be. God wants you to have money. His hand on your life is never to diminish you. God doesn't want to reduce you. God doesn't want you to live your life impoverished. God wants to bless you. God wants to increase you. And I know what's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying the awkward right now because there's a bunch of Christians out there right now who are going, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me, John, that you believe in that prosperity doctrine? Is this one of those money churches? 
You know, I get asked that question literally all the time. I've been asked it for 18 years, still get asked it all the time. And the truth is I get it because there's a lot of weird and wonderful both inside the church as well as outside of it. So in that sense, it's a fair question. And if by prosperity doctrine, we mean that it's God's will that every believer in Jesus should drive a Bentley and live in a mansion, then the truth is absolutely not. I don't believe that at all. There's not one verse of scripture to back that up. But on the flip side, let's get this really, really clear. God hates poverty. I wanna say it again. God hates poverty. God loves poor people and he provides for them, but he does not delight in lack of basic needs, in people going without, starving children. There is nothing in the heart of God that is delighted by that. I want to say it loud for the people in the back. God hates poverty. At its most fundamental level, God's will for every person financially is that you will have two things, two things. You can write them down, come on. Number one, enough for what you need and more than enough for those around you. God wants you to have enough for what you need and more than enough for others around you. This is God's will for every person on the planet. Remember, we live in a world where God's will isn't done most of the time. When God's will is done, it's an exception to the general state of the world in which we live. And it's our role as believers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But God's basic desire for everybody is that your needs would be met. You'd have enough food, access to clean water, a roof over your head, clothes that are on your back. And secondly, that you can help others you meet with the blessing that God has given to you. God doesn't want you to be in poverty. God wants you to prosper. Now, what happens beyond those two fundamental needs being met is a question of stewardship. And we're going to talk about that in our next point. But let me dive into this thought. How much money is too much money? Because I get asked that question. Like, okay, John, I get what you're saying about the first bit, but how much is too much? Well, let me come at this one real clear. Any amount of money is too much money for you when number one, Money has your heart. God does not want any person to be greedy for money or to love money. It is absolutely not His will. Any amount of too, uh, money is too much money when number one, money has your heart. If money has your heart, then money is destroying your life. But the second way that money is too much for you is when you're not stewarding well the money that you do have. We need to be really honest about this. If you have money, but you are not stewarding it well, then biblically, the amount of money you have is too much for you. God doesn't put a limit on how much is right for a person to have, but he does clearly call us to stewardship. And with that, we need to dive into point two. Number two, our second point this morning, money is a test. When we read the scripture, we quickly come in context, contact with the reality that when God looks at our money, he says money is a test. In fact, 
Jesus gave us three faithfulness tests. They're in Luke 16, 10 to 12. Write that reference down in here. Let me give you each of these three faithfulness tests because they all concern our money. Number one is in Luke 16, verse 10, where Jesus said, he who has not been faithful in what is least will not be faithful also in much. What's that saying? That's saying how you use the little you have is going to determine whether God gets involved in giving you more. Money is a test. What I do with the little I have is deciding whether I'm going to get more. Faithful, faithful with little, faithful with much. That's the premise of this. And by faithful, we, we mean utilized well and effectively cared for, growing under your care. God won't give us more if we don't use well what we have. Guys, we've got to own this. Because if today we're saying, I don't feel like I have enough money, the first thing we should do is look backward and say, what did we do with yesterday's money? Because when we look at the parable of the talents, we realize that God looks at what we do with what we have. In the parable of the talents, you know the story where Jesus gave to one guy five talents, another guy two talents, and another guy one talents. And let's be abundantly clear what a talent is. A talent is not a gifting, the ability to sing or something like that. I mean, it is. But this is, this is not New Zealand's got talent. Talent in the Bible <laughs> is strictly meaning money. He gave one guy five measures of money, another guy two measures of money, and another guy one measure of money. And the guy with five, the Bible says he went out and he made five more. The guy with two went out and he made two more. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that is really hard. To double the money that has been entrusted to you is so incredibly hard. Well, remember that if you've ever read the story, the Bible says he went away and then he came back. This is not the age of jet planes and bullet trains. This is an age where travel took a period. So let's say that he went away for 10 years. This is possible for anyone. Anyone hearing this message can achieve this. Historically, over the time that KiwiSaver has been in New Zealand, if you invested $10,000 in one day, in 10 years' time, the average yield in KiwiSaver turns $10,000 into $25,000. This is not beyond our ability to achieve. But the Bible says about the guy with one that he did nothing with what he was given. And the Bible says that God comes along and he says, well, take the, the talent from the guy at one and give it to the guy with five. Faithfulness with what we have is important to our God. And the moment you start or I start being faithful with what I have, let's just be very clear. God isn't going to extend judgment over us. God's waiting for us to listen to the truth of his word and start to pass the test of faithfulness with what we have because then he goes, great, you've just joined the team of the five. And now that you've joined the team of the five, watch what happens when I start taking and giving to you. God is wanting to bless us, but money is a test. And the first test is faithful with little, faithful with much. Luke chapter 16, verse 11, here's our second one. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? So this is very important for us to realize. God is looking at what we do with what's termed unrighteous mammon, which basically means our money. 
He looks at what we do with our money to decide whether he's going to give us true riches. Okay, John, so what is true riches? True riches is people. So when we're looking at our lives, God is saying, I see how you handle your money, and then I decide what I do in your life in the arena of people. I realized very early in my journey as a pastor that how I handle my personal finances will decide the growth of a rise. Because if I don't handle my money well, let alone the church's money well, which, of which I'm just one trustee, by the way, but if I don't handle my money well, then why would God let this church flourish? Why would he entrust the souls of people to a man who can't handle his own finances? Single people, let me just say this to you. How you handle your personal finances now is going to decide the quality of your marriage. The third faithfulness test is in Luke 16 verse 12, where the Bible says, if you have not been faithful with that which is another man's or another person's, who is going to give you what is your own? Guys, how we look after someone else's money or possessions is going to decide whether God is going to give us our own. God is looking monetarily at how we treat a rented property that we're living in today. God is looking at how we look after a borrowed car, a loan from a family member. God is looking at this. It is a money stewardship test that in God's eyes, we have to pass if we're going to qualify for more. The danger is that what we tend to do when it comes to money is we judge people who have more money than us, especially those who have more money than we can comprehend. But I want to introduce to you today that it could be the reason they have more money is because they have been faithful for a longer period of time than us and therefore are further along in their journey. I know what people are going to be saying. There's going to be some people out there that are going to be going, John, you don't understand. They're greedy. They're wealthy. They're awful people. They came to it unjustly. Well, let me just be very clear. You can have a lot of money and not be going to heaven. And you can have a lot of money and not have a great relationship with God. I'm speaking to the godly in this series. Proverbs 15, 6 says, It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure with, with inner turmoil. In other words, if you don't get what you have in a godly way, you'll have no peace with God in your heart. But let us be very clear, God doesn't want you to only have a little. He wants you to live your life with the fear of the Lord. See, let's just remember tithing is a test. It's a monetary test. The simple act of returning 10% to God is passing the basic test of money. Worshiping and trusting God in the most fundamental area of our lives, our money is God's will for every single one of us. Come on, let me hear every campus shout, money is a test. Point number three, money has a spirit. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. The Bible says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Man, that is emotional language. That's some provocative stuff. That's fiery language right there. Love and hatred, devotion and despising. 
You cannot serve both God and money. This is the only ultimatum that Jesus ever gave. Now, the word money in this passage of Scripture is, is more accurately translated mammon. It means to have your confidence in money or to have greed for money. In other words, if you are desiring money, placing your confidence in money, wanting money, if this is the, the spirit that is at work in your life, then you cannot have a deep love for God at the center of your life. Mammon is a powerful spirit that is at work in our world. Let me just be very clear. We are a culture that worships money. The reason why there is so much controversy concerning Christianity and money is largely to do, not entirely, there are some idiot Christians out there. There really are. There are and there are mixed motives that happen and people do bad stuff. But the largest reason why money is controversial is that we are a culture that worships money. Materialism and greed dominate our world today. And we've got to be aware of this because money is a spirit that is seeking to control your life. Money controls your life when covetousness is gripping your heart. When you resent the state of other people's lives over your own. And when you have no contentment for what you have. I'll tell you what. I did a marriage panel two weeks ago, talked about some things I love about my wife. There's one I didn't get to. My wife's ill today. She's at home. So baby, this is a shout out for you. But the one thing I appreciate about my wife, every home we've ever lived in, she's loved it. We lived in a one bedroom cottage, smaller than the stage I'm standing on this morning for seven years. It gathered water underneath it every winter. We'd turn the heaters on and it would suck the water from out underneath the house into the house. But my wife, I couldn't tell you how many times she'd just say, man, I'm so grateful God gave us this little cottage. So grateful. We could be living in a little bed set. So grateful that we lived here. You can break the spirit of mammon when you worship the one true God with every fiber of your being. I want you, Jesus, more than anything else. There's nothing in my life I want more than you, Jesus. Nothing will ever take the place of you. You are enough for me. Guys, write this down. Contentment is the most powerful financial tool you'll ever have. Say it again. Okay. Contentment is the most powerful financial tool you will ever have. The easiest way to prosper in your life is to be happy with what you've already got. I have Jesus and I have enough. Proverbs 1.19, here it is. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. The desire for money is going to destroy life, not give it to you. Number four, here we go. Having money is the fruit of diligence. Okay, we're going to give out four scriptures. I don't want to make anybody feel like you're getting beaten up, but let's just hear this really clear. By the way, there are some people in our church family I know, and I want to say I love you, I'm proud of you, I respect you, I honor you, but there are people who are working two jobs or more right now in order to see your family move ahead or put food on the table. You can check out from this point, you've already got it. But for everybody else, let's do this. Proverbs 21, 25, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Proverbs 13, 4, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Proverbs 10, 5, a wise youth, hello, we got any university students out there? 
instead of ticking up more debt on your student loan, listen to this one, a wise youth harvests in the summer. It is ridiculous how much leave you get as a university student. Harvest in the summer. But one who goes to Mount Monganui for two months is a disgrace. Second Thessalonians 3.10. Let's jump over to the New Testament in case you thought this was Old Covenant. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. You will not prosper if you're unwilling to work for your money. Diligence is the only way to prosper. If you talk to people who have prospered, I love doing this. I love it. It doesn't threaten me. It inspires me, even though their lives are so much further down the track than mine. But I love to sit down with people who have prospered and to say, tell me your backstory." If you've ever done this, ever read this, you will never find a story of a prosperous person who didn't have to, at the beginning, grind away, live in some crazy little place with hard work, with delayed gratification, not quitting on the journey, you know, making their own lunch every single day. You're going to find the story of diligence and discipline at the backbone of every prosperous person's life. So guys, if you want to prosper, here it is. Be diligent. Work diligently. Budget diligently. Save diligently. Tithe diligently. Diligence is at the heart of moving ahead financially. Oh, John, but I'm just trusting God. I don't have to work. You know, the Lord's got my back. I'm just trusting God. No, no, no. Look at me. God is trusting you. God wants you to have a hand in your financial breakthrough. Come on, now we can give a clap. And while you're giving a clap, let's give a bigger one for everybody who's working two jobs, working their butt off to prosper their family. You're amazing. We love you. Thank God for you. One of my kids came up to me and they said, uh, they said, Dad, they don't don't call me John. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter does call me Father Alan, Father John, but anyway, Father Alan's my dad. But anyway, my kids came up to me one day, one of my kids, an, an anonymous, and they said, I, would, I need more money. And I said, well, I'll pay you 20 bucks to mow the lawns. They said, well, that, that's not enough. Because <laughs> they had a project, and they were like, I, I, they need X amount of dollars for this, you know. And I said, well, you'll never earn more if you don't start there. It's diligence. It's diligence. I was uh, uh, one just a few years ago. I was hanging out with some of my closest friends that I've done ministry with for literally decades. And most of us either run now large multi site churches or movements of churches. It's been, it's been amazing. There's little nucleus of people that just spread all over the world. And we were telling our stories of Bible college, which for me, I include the first four years of ministry when I volunteered. So I volunteered to do my job. Like I had to earn money to do my job. Yeah, it's like reverse psychology, but that's, that's the way I did it. And we're telling our stories. And you know what? Out of, out of seven of them, four of us have one theme in common. We cleaned office blocks in the middle of the night while we were at Bible college. You know why? Because if you'll clean somebody else's toilets in the middle of the night, you can earn so much more than you can at a, cr- a cruisy retail job in a high-end fashion store where you tithe 50% back to get clothes you won't want in three years' time. 
and I look at these guys, and they all own their own home. They've all been entrusted by God with large churches or movements. But behind it all is diligence. Students, be careful about those loans. You're being told, borrow, 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 borrow. Here's God's word for you. Don't expect to prosper. If you need to borrow, borrow as little as you can. But work, save, and pay your own way as much as you possibly can. As Dave Ramsey famously says, there's a great place to go when you're broke. To work. <laughs> Number five, we've got to keep moving. Number five, super important. Wealth comes slowly. I feel like I want to say it again. Wealth comes slowly. Oh man, I want you to remember this every time you're ever in a conversation with somebody who looks like they're on a fast upward trajectory. Just remember, here's God's word, Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, how, how fast? Little by little. Come on, let me hear you. Whangarei, Auckland, Hamilton, Carpety, shout it out. Whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. Wealth comes slow. Proverbs 13, I've got the same scripture for two verses. I've stuffed it up. But anyway, here's my second one. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes disappears quickly. Wealth from hard work grows, how quickly? Over time. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that you are going to get rich quick. It is not in the Bible. It's not one verse of Scripture in the Bible. If you want to prosper, it's going to take you a long time. Don't aim to get rich quick. Don't Google how to get rich quick. It's going to be a source of pain for you. And it's going to distract you from the right path. If you want to prosper, don't buy a lotto ticket. I just can't even get started on that one. <laughs> Don't invest in sure-to-rise stock unless you are either, number one, an expert in that field, or number two, have enough money that you're willing to kiss every cent of it goodbye. There is not one verse in the Bible giving a promise to God's followers that you will have instant wealth. It's not God's plan, purpose, or principle. Wealth comes slowly. Money takes years to save and seconds to spend. And the only way you get more of it is if you have a vision that is long-term. Your vision to prosper financially needs to begin today with an expectation of 20 to 40 years. I talked to so many people, read so many books in preparation for the series. I've been working on it all year. Here's my personal theory. I haven't read it. I'm just sharing it with you out of conversation and observation. It will take you a minimum of 20 years of obedience in the same direction before you will truly prosper. 20 years. When you first decide you want your financial life to improve, your progress is going to appear like it is at glacial speed. Who slowed down my life? The first six months are horrible. The next year is 
painful. You're going to be moving so slowly at times, it's going to feel like you are hardly moving at all. But if you'll stay focused on the journey, keep on the same track, be consistent, stay encouraged, celebrate marginal gains. I have in my financial spreadsheet like every financial increment of improvement that Julie and I make. And sometimes you just got to party that it's 10 bucks in the right direction. Just party, 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 party. Because here's what happens. If you'll stay faithful long enough, compound interest begins to kick in. Capital gains begin to happen. Faithfulness at your job means you get an increase in your pay. And what seems so slow for so long finally begins to gather momentum. And you find yourself feeling optimistic about the future and a thousand small right decisions. Let me say that again. A thousand small right decisions incrementally increase in your life and so slowly blessing begins to come. Wealth comes slowly. Say it with me everywhere. Wealth comes slowly. One more time. Wealth comes slowly. In week four, we're going to talk about your plan for your money. Make sure you're here. It's Queen's birthday weekend. Number six, or tune in if you are one of the lazy people who go away. No, 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 no. No, we celebrate you going away as long as you come back. All right, number six, number six. Number six, this is really important. It's going to sound harsh, but it's not What you don't know about money is destroying your future. I don't want anybody to feel overly guilty about that, but I just, sometimes we just got to hear what the Word of God says. Proverbs 1.22, how long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? You can hear the heart of God. How long? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 1.32, simpletons turn away from me. That's wisdom for death. Fools are destroyed by their complacency. Proverbs 4 verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. It's more important what you understand about money than how much money you have. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's too easy for us guys to say, I don't get money. And then just put a little in next to that. I leave that up to my wife. I leave that up to my husband. I, I don't get money. I don't get, I'm not one of those money people. I'm just happy. You'll never have money. I don't mean to be mean spirited. But for us to have money, for us to move forward financially, we have to understand money. Let me give you eight things you can do to help you to understand money. And most of these are going to take you less than five minutes a day. Okay, here you go. Number one, read a chapter of Proverbs every day for a year. It is full of sound financial counsel. I can't tell you how many financial decisions Jillian and I have made after I read a chapter of Proverbs. I do this literally in my life right now. Every day I read a chapter of Proverbs. Not all the time, but right now. Number two, go to life group this term. Because every life group's talking about finances. If you're not part of a life group, walk out of this room and join one. Number three, if you're a mess in your finances, go to one of our grow life groups. And at the life group stand, information stand in the foyer, we can help you to get into one of these. These are run by people in our church who are, have dedicated their evenings to helping people 
deal with money. Many of them qualified to even give you personal advice about how you can get a budget and get your finances on track. Number four, find someone who is good with money and ask their advice. If you don't know much about money, get a counselor. Get someone who can give you advice. Now, I wanna give two very strong pieces of warning when we're starting to talk about this. Getting advice from people. Number one, don't get advice from anyone who is wanting to talk to you but eventually wants to sell you something. Do not go to them. If there is any hook anywhere, network marketing, join this club, whatever, no, don't go near it. You want impartial advice from people who have done the distance. Number two, don't find someone who wasn't wealthy five years ago and talk to them. I'm talking about these overnight successes. If it sprang up quickly, chances are it'll fall down quickly. Find someone who has made the right, slow decisions over a long period of time. Someone who didn't just, you know, overnight invent a copyright, but somebody who just worked on it progressively. Choose the lowest common denominator, something that you can actually attain and get that person's advice. Ask them, what kind of car should I drive? What kind of holiday should I have? How long should I wait before I buy a house? Julian's father has been in education his whole life and has retired very well in Mount Eden in Auckland. And I have consulted with him on every major financial decision Julian and I have made for 23 years, including 2021. A new car upward, every decision goes to you and first before I make the decision. Find someone you can get some advice from. Number five, listen to podcasts. Number six, read articles. I realized yesterday that every Saturday I read the Mary Holm column in the Herald. Anybody else out there? Three old people. Yeah, but I, I love it. Every, it's free financial advice. Number seven, follow Dave Ramsey. He's like the Christian grand poobah of finances. Follow his daughter, Rachel Cruz, too. She's awesome. There's probably more pithy videos. Okay, number eight. Come back every Sunday for the rest of the series. Get hungry to learn about money. What you don't know about money is hindering your future. Number seven, I gotta finish with this. Jehovah Jireh wants you to be a planner. Oh man, come on, there's too many of those Christians out there. You know the Christians? I'm talking about God will provide, John. I'm just trusting in God, John. You know, God's got it. He, a lily of the valley, sparrow of the field. If he causes a lily, how more can he turn? Yes, 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 God will provide. In his mercy and his love, God is gonna look after us no matter how stupid we might have been. But we should not use his mercy as a basis for our theology. It's the just trusting God that makes just trusting God ridiculous. Do what you need to do and then trust God. Proverbs 16 verse three, I'm closing. The band can join me on every stage. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and He will establish your plans. In other words, if you'll get a plan, then you can trust God. Jehovah Jireh wants you to be a planner. Again, week four, we're gonna talk about how to get a plan. It's gonna help you. You're gonna cover it in life groups. You can get a plan by reading God, Money, and Me when you get to the end of this. But there's seven truths about God's Word that God wants you to know concerning money.